Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Good morning again to you. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dogwood. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Um, I have a favorite phrase, and if you've been around me a little bit, you've probably heard me say this phrase. It's, it's words matter. Um, and after this series, I'm adding a little tagline to that phrase. It's this, is that words matter, and so do the context in which we say them. Let me, uh, let me tell you, um, let me give you a, an example of, of, of how that works. If I was to tell you that last night I was having dinner with someone and I was looking into their eyes and I was telling them how much I loved them and how beautiful they were and how um, I couldn't imagine life without them, nobody in this room would have a problem if that person that across that table was my wife, Lindsay, right? Everybody would go, wow, that's sweet. That's really nice that you would say those kinds of things. If I said that that was another woman, everybody would go, what? And Lindsay would pull out a gun and shoot me right now, right? People would have a hard time with that. The context of what is said is oftentimes as important as what is actually being said. And so we've got to be careful. We've been in a series all of this July called Twisted, where we have been taking a look at... um, some of the most misused, misunderstood, missaid verses, um, both within the church and without the church, or outside of the church. And um, as David mentioned last week, you know, our goal as we've been going through this series isn't to get you to go, okay, I need to cut that verse out of my Bible, or I'm never going to say that verse again, or if you had your pillowcase with your favorite verse written on it, it's not to get you to throw that away. Really, the intent behind our study in all of this is to help you to know and understand God's word to a deeper level so that it causes you to love him more and to love other people more, right? That's, that's been the intent. Why? Because his word matters, and so does the context in which it's said. Now, I want to give you a quick recap of what we've done so far this month, in case today may be your first time. You're going, wow, wow, that sounds like a cool series. Um, or maybe you missed one or two of them. By the way, uh, a quick sidebar here. If you've missed one of the sermons this July, I encourage you to get on our website and listen uh, to the one that you missed. They've all been very, very good. But here's our quick recap. In week one, David Hodge opened our series by looking at Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We learned about how we can misuse that verse to say that God wants us to be successful in everything that we do and wants our sports team to win. I was a kid when I realized that that didn't work because I would say Philippians 4.13 and so would the people we were playing against and it didn't take much of intelligence to realize that both can't be right, right? And we learned that really that verse is about the tough times and trials that followers of Christ go through and how God carries us through those trials. Then in week two, Pastor Chad Crouch walked us through Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And he helped us to understand that God's number one priority isn't so much to make us happy in life, but his number one priority is to make us holy. And that Jesus didn't come to save us from our circumstances, but he came to save us from our sins. And, it, and we learned how those, that verse goes in with that. If you want to know more about it, go back and listen to Chad's message from the second Sunday of July. Then uh, in week three, Pastor Jay Vineyard walked us through Romans 8, uh, tw- uh, 28, that says, All things work together for the good for those that love God 
But, but here's the reality. Bad things do happen, right? Bad things happen to you? The answer to that question is yes. And when something bad happens to you, does that mean that you don't love God enough? Or does that mean that God broke his promise in saying that nothing bad was going to happen to you? But what we learned was is that Christians do suffer. Why? Because there's sin in the world. Sin marred creation. But our suffering pales in comparison to what awaits us in heaven. And we learned that our suffering can advance the gospel. And we learned that our suffering actually, when we look back, can actually cause us to love God more. Because what we see is that God's holding our hand through those times and trials. Or we see that he's actually carrying us through those times. And then last week, David Hodge was back and he walked us through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That says, God is faithful and would not let us be tempted beyond our control. And he, and he talked about how this verse isn't just, just twisted in understanding, but it's twisted in how we even quote it. We, we quote it wrong um, often. And it says, or how people often say this, is that this verse won't give us, or that God won't give us more than we can handle. But the reality is, is it says that we won't be tempted beyond our control. So the verse is about temptation and about God working in our lives and giving us the ability to withstand the evil one and that we are to help lay our burdens on Christ but also on other people. In other words, the body of Christ will help us through those times. Today we wrap up our series with, I think, one of the most twisted verses um, in, in all of Scripture. And it, I think it's one of the most twisted ones because you'll hear it used within the church and you'll hear it used outside of the church in the wrong context. It's this verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. They use this one sentence that says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. Anybody ever heard that before? Do not judge so you won't be used before. Well, how do people use this? Well, they, I think they typically like to use it almost like they would a tennis racket if a tennis racket could be used to defend yourself against the lobs of attacks from people. I think sometimes people might, we would, we would hold up our racket, this Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 that says, don't judge. And when someone would say to me, hey, John, maybe you were a little short with your kids and you, you, may, have, you may have sinned a little, bit, a little bit too harsh that you know, I kind of swing back at them and go, you know what, don't judge me lest you be judged. Right, Or if we're out at dessert with one another and um, I'm eating my fifth Krispy Kreme donut because when they're hot and fresh, they melt in your mouth. Yes, y'all have been there too and had your fifth Krispy Kreme. And as you say that to me because you're going, hey, shouldn't we not be gluttons? And I just kind of step back and go, hey, why don't you go judge yourself as you're drinking your um, venti frappuccino? And for those that don't know, venti frappuccinos are the big ones, Right? Listen, we, we use this as, that verse as a defense to, to, help, to help try to defend ourselves. Or we even may say, you know what, someone might say, hey, John, you know that thing that you're watching on TV? Maybe it's not the best thing in the world. And I kind of hit back and go, hey, go judge somebody else because there's a whole lot of worse things on TV that you could be watching or that I could be watching. Why don't you go do something else, right? That's how we use this. And people, when they, when they lob that verse back at us, don't they usually have a little sass behind it? I mean, yeah, absolutely we do. Because nobody likes to be judged, do we? Do you like to be judged? I mean, so here's a couple of things that I know about people, and, and, and in particular, our culture today. One is, is that we're taught to value tolerance. Our American culture basically says, listen, accept everything. It's okay. Don't worry about it. So we're taught that. Our kids are being taught that. I don't know that they're being used those words, but that is the, that's the essence of what is being taught in our, our culture. But I also know human nature is, I don't like to be judged. 
And I know you don't either. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Lindsay and I got the opportunity to lead a few of our students uh, to a conference called Student Leadership University 201. So all 201 means is part two. 101 was last year. And uh, this conference was up in D.C. Now, sidebar again, uh, if you have kids um, or ever want to have kids, Student Leadership University is one of those things that you should get your kid to be involved in. It is an incredible opportunity to help them grow in their walk with Christ and in their leadership and how to learn to be a Christ follower in our culture today. Now back to the sermon. Here we go. Um, We're up there, and we got there early enough to where we could go do a little sightseeing on our own. All right, so y'all been in D.C. before, you've been to the Smithsonian's, it's a lot of fun, there's the subway system that you can get around on, and some of these students that had been with us had never, ever, ever been on a subway, and it was fun watching them try to figure out how to do the ticket thing and um, how to use it, so anyway, um, part of what I'm doing is helping them learn some of those skills, so I'm like watching them do this. Well, one of the guys, and I don't know what happened, by the way, let me back up. Subway systems, if you've never been on one before, typically you have a ticket and you put it through the little um, booth there. It opens so that you can walk through, right? And then when you get to your final destination, you have to put your ticket through a machine again that will then open the door so you can get out. Does that make sense, right? Well, so one of the guys, I don't know what happened to his ticket, honestly, because he used it to get in. And then as he gets to the booth to get out... He swipes it and it doesn't open. And he's standing there like, what am I going to do? And we're all like, man, we got to go because it's time. We got to get back. And so I look back and he's, you know, he's about to jump sort of over the thing. And I was like, hey, look, just go talk to the people on that side of the booth that's over there. There's a lady. They'll help you out. It'll be fine. Well, to the back of me at this point, I hear someone yell out, hey, sir, you're going to get a ticket for that. And I was like, what are you talking about? Turned around and looked. There's a police officer. By the way, I love our police officers. But this one was telling me that I was going to get a ticket for that. Right? And I went, what do you, why? And she goes, because you told him to jump the, the booth. And I went, no. I said, go talk to the person in the booth. That's why he's going to do that. No, sir, I heard you. You said for him to go on through. You're going to get a ticket for that. And I, so listen, let me tell you. On the outside... I think I'm calm because my wife is there and these kids are watching me that are there and there's people now that are watching because they've heard this police officer yell out that I might get a ticket for this. So on the outside, I'm trying to remain calm. On the inside, I wanted to take a racket and just beat them, right? (laughs) So I go over there, talk to him, didn't get a ticket because she goes, oh yeah. I said, listen, he's over there talking to the lady. I didn't tell him to jump. Oh, I guess maybe you're right. Well, if you do that again, you're going to get a ticket for it. I was going, okay, all right, but I didn't do it. I hated being judged. Don't you? We hate it. Can't stand it. So today, we're going to unpack this verse and find out what in the world Jesus was really teaching us. Before we do, I want to pray for us that God would give us insight. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word today, God, give us your wisdom and your insight. So thank you for the opportunity to study your word together as a body of Christ. And Lord, as we look at your words, give us insight to see what you want us to know and what you want us to do. May this study cause us to love and worship you more, and may it help us to love others as you do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, almost every Sunday this has been said over these last few weeks that when you're interpreting scripture, you have to follow at least three principles of interpretation. One is that you've got to understand the context, right? We already talked about the context is important, but what is context? Context is um, who wrote the words, who said the words, why did they write it, who it was written to, and very importantly, what's coming before that sentence in this case, and what comes just after it. You've got to look at the whole 
thing of what's being taught. But not only do you have to look at the context, we also have to learn that when we come to passages of Scripture that may cause a little bit of confusion, right? I mean, there's passages, there's sentences, verses in Scripture that sometimes cause a little confusion. The right way to figure those out is to look at other passages of Scripture that maybe are a little more clear. So in other words, you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And then the third thing that we're to do is that we're to become doers of God's word. Because when you do God's word, when you obey God's word, God begins to transform your heart and helps you to understand who he is and helps you to understand the why behind he's asking you to, the, the, this particular way to live. So let's look at the context of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is all part of Jesus's, what we call now Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that, we start, that he started back in Matthew chapter 5. Now remember, when Jesus was speaking, he didn't say, okay everybody, number 5 verse 1 and start going through, right? He's just, it's just one big long sermon. Great sermon, by the way. But in chapter 5, um, he starts telling people and explaining to people that being a follower of Christ is a heart issue. He says it's all about what's going on inside, not the external things that you may be doing. You can go through there and read chapter 5 where it talks about um, murder begins in the heart. It's about are you angry at someone? Do you hate someone? Well, then you're credited with murder. God says it's about what's inside that matters. Then it jumps on into chapter 6. And in chapter 6, he starts dealing with hypocrisy. He says, be careful then in how you give. Don't be like the hypocrites who when they give something, they like a lot of attention drawn to the amount that they've given. Because all the, the reward they have is right then and there. That's it. Or when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites because they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners making it a big deal and using big language so that people would look at them and go, oh wow, look how spiritual they are. And Jesus says, don't be like that. When you pray instead, go, um, go in, in the quiet and the silence and in the secret. And then when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who like make themselves look worse than they really feel when they're fasting. So that when people look at them, they go, wow, that guy, he really must be spiritual. Now, we sometimes don't even get that and understand it because our culture looks at people like that that would, that would fast and, and pray in public. They almost look like them like freaks, right? But back then, people looked at them and went, oh, they're really the, the, the good ones. They're really the ones that God loves. And Jesus says, don't do those things for other people's benefit. Be concerned about what's going on on the inside. And then we get to chapter 7, what we call chapter 7. Still part of the same sermon, he's talking about hypocrisy, and listen to what he says in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Jesus is continuing with the theme of hypocrisy. And as a matter of fact, in verse 5, he actually judges people. So if you're going to take a passage of Scripture, a sentence especially, a verse, chapter 7, verse 1, and only use one sentence... 
you're, it's really dangerous because just after Jesus said those words, don't judge, in verse 5, what does he do to people? He calls them a hypocrite. So what is he doing? He's passing judgment on them, right? So Jesus clearly cannot mean that we're never, ever, ever to judge. Again, we, we use this and see this even in, in society. I was watching a morning show um, back in the spring. And uh, the morning show was talking about one of the moral issues of the day. Which it's not important what that issue is right now because that would be another sermon for another day. But just know that they were talking about this, this issue and they were giving really Christians a hard, time for being on, a hard time for being on one side of the issue. And then one of the anchors said, you know what, I thought Christians weren't supposed to judge or they'll be judged. And so everybody just kind of shut up at that point because they went, oh yeah, I guess we can't argue with that. But the problem is, is you have to look at more than just that one sentence because just a few verses later, Jesus says and calls people a hypocrite, meaning he's judging. So he must mean something different. Well, let me define for you hypocrisy because that's really what Jesus is getting at here. Hypocrisy is this, putting forward an outward performance that doesn't line up with one's true self. Putting forward an outward performance that doesn't line up with one's true self. And so, again, in chapter 6, he's going through all of these things saying, listen, hypocrisy is, is making a big deal about what you give and about how you pray. And he goes on to say, be careful in your judgment of other people. And being a, hypocr- and being a hypocrite at the same time. So the crux of verses 1 through 5 is stop judging other people in a hypocritical fashion. Well, how do we do this? Well, let me give you two examples maybe of where this might happen in someone's life. Let's say you have a friend that gossips. Does anybody have a friend that gossips? Anybody? Some of you do. If you didn't raise your hand, you might be that friend that gossips, right? (laughs) So let's say you have a friend that gossips and you recognize that in them and you have a little bit of a relationship with them. And so you go to them and you say, hey, friend, we won't call their name now, right? Hey, friend, maybe you shouldn't gossip. And here's the reason why you shouldn't gossip. It breaks God's heart because it's a sin and it tears people down. And you go through all of this and they hear you and they're like, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't gossip. I'll not do that. And then you go to your life group that night and you proceed during the prayer time to tell the group, hey, listen, I have this friend. And you name the friend at this point. And you say, I had to talk to them about their gossip. And here's what they were gossiping about. Would you pray for my friend too? Now, what have you just done? You gossiped about them. Jesus is saying, don't do that kind of stuff. If you're going to confront somebody, if you're going to point out somebody's sin, then you better make sure you're not doing it. Or what about a dad? A dad who has a son who is, uh, he's in school and he gets caught cheating on a test. And so he brings home a zero on his test. And his da- he's, the, the, the dad sits his son down and says, son, you know, when you do this kind of stuff, you'll get zeros on your test and they might kick you out of school. And if you do it as an adult, man, they might, you might lose your job. Something bad might happen, right? Don't do those kinds of things, son. And by the way, you're grounded now for a week. But then when tax time comes around, that same very dad inflates his deductions that he's given to charity. Why? So that he wouldn't have to pay so much taxes. What has that dad done? He's just cheated, just the same as his son did. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're never to correct somebody. It doesn't mean that we're not to parent our children. Of course we are. We're going to talk about this in just a second, but Jesus says, be way, way, way more concerned about what's going on with you than you are with other people. Don't be a hypocrite in your judging of others. 
So now that we understand a little bit of the context, we now have to look to what does Scripture say about judging? Well, Jesus actually has more to say about judging. In John chapter 7, verse 24, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. So here's what Jesus is saying here. He says, Don't ever judge somebody superficially. Don't just look out on the outside and make a judgment on somebody. Now, why would he say something like that? Well, because we don't know people's motives. You have no idea what idea what people's motives are. You have no ability to know why someone does something. It's the reason that you can't look at someone who's really, really, really wealthy and look at their house and what they drive and pass judgment on them. Because in essence, or in reality, they actually may be living on only 10% of their income and giving 90% of the way, uh, 90% away. You don't know their motives. You don't know what's going on, and you don't know what they're doing in secret. We can't judge people only on outside appearances. But later in the New Testament, there's more um, instructions about judging. Paul writes, and Paul writes, and he says, don't ever judge anybody hypocritically. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. He's pounding that nail in for us. It says, don't do things hypocritically. Now, here's how this plays out in our lives. Most of the time, we give ourselves a pass when we mess up, and we hold other people to a higher standard, don't we? Yeah, it happens to us all the time. I was uh, driving to Noonan um, from Tyrone last Monday, going to a doctor's appointment. I left a little late. I was in my favorite, one of my favorite places to, to study and write and pray. And I was running a little bit late to uh, this doctor's appointment. And, in, and, and here's, in the back of my mind, there's a sign in this office that says, basically, if you're late, you may not get seen. Right Now, it says it much nicer than that, but that's basically what it says. So don't show up late. It's what they're saying. So I've got that in my mind. So I'm going. I'm not speeding, by the way. I'm getting there. I go down the interstate. Um, I get to uh, Highway 34 where you get off the interstate. I turn right. I'm in the lane. I've now got to make it over three or four lanes of traffic to be able to turn left. And nobody is letting me over. Like nobody. And there's all kinds of traffic. Nobody's flying because it's kind of bumper to bumper. Well, someone finally gives a little bit of a gap. Just enough for me to take my little car and pull in there, Right? I look up in my rearview mirror and both the driver and the passenger are shaking fists at me and doing all kinds of signs. All kinds of them. I mean, some of them are crazy, right? And I'm going, man, just cut, cut me some slack. I'm just trying to get over so I can turn left, right? Because if, if I'm late to my appointment, I've got to reschedule and then I've got to pay a fee and just, you know, cut me some slack. But when I'm driving and someone does that to me, I don't give in to road rage, but if you could only know what was going through my head. I mean, sometimes when people cut me off, I imagine, I don't really do this, but I'm like, you know what? Wouldn't it be awesome if I had a paintball gun right now that was like mounted to the front of my truck and I could just and just lay them out, right? On, their, on the back of their car. Y'all are laughing because you do the same thing. We do, we, but, 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 and I go, man, what a jerk. How rude could they be? Don't they realize they're putting somebody in danger? When I just did the same thing to somebody and went, hey, cut me some slack. I'm trying to get to an appointment. Listen, that's the kind of stuff Jesus is, and that's, that's minor and funny, right? But we do that in real things as well. Like in things that matter. Don't do that, the New Testament teaches. Then the Bible says to us, number three, 
The Bible says to us that we are not to hold non-believers to Christian standards. Don't hold non-believers to Christian standards. It's not fair, it's not right to hold them to biblical standards. Now let me ask you a question for just a moment. How many of you that are followers of Christ are able to live a perfect life? Anybody? We didn't have anybody in the first service either. Okay, so so we're all on the same playing field. Now, how many of you, though, have something inside of you that helps you live the Christian life? In other words, when you do succeed, it's not so much that you're doing it. There's somebody else in you doing it, right? Who is that called? The Holy Spirit. All right. So let's push pause there for a second. Now let's go to the unbeliever. And if we go to the unbeliever and say, listen, you've got to live to standards that the Bible holds you to. And we've already said to our, we've already admitted to ourselves, none of us can do it on our own, right? We have to have the Holy Spirit. Yes. What does the unbeliever not have in them? They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Therefore, we can't hold them to the same standard. Now, that doesn't mean, again, I want to jump back and say that doesn't mean we shouldn't have laws protecting people. That doesn't mean that we can't say murder's wrong. Of course we can say murder's wrong. But it does mean that, that, in, uh, that there's a lot of things that we might get mad at people and ask them to clean their lives up that, they're, that they have no ability to do on their own. Why? Because we have no ability to do on our own. So when we talk to people that are outside of the family of God... We cannot, we must not ever say to them, clean your act up and then become a follower of Christ. Hey, if you'll just stop doing this and then follow Christ. Do y'all remember the series that we did? We didn't call it this, but we said this a lot. Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. And the moment we tell someone that they've got to clean their life up and then become a follower of Christ, we've just made it Jesus plus something, right? We've got to be very careful not to hold non-believers to Christian standards. And then number four, the Bible says that we are to help restore fallen believers. Well, if you're going to restore somebody, you have to know that they've fallen, right? I mean, that's only logical. I mean, if somebody's messed up, you have to be able, and you're going to help restore them, you have to know that they messed up. So that means you're passing judgment on them. But the Bible says that we're to restore them gently. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2 says that we're to restore believers with a gentle spirit, watching out for ourselves so that we also won't be tempted. We mess up, right? You and I mess up. We're honest. We mess up probably every day, certainly every week. I mean, we mess up all the time. And how do you want to be handled when you mess up? I want someone to handle, handle me with kid gloves, right? I want them to be gentle. I want them to forgive me. When we were at uh, Student Leadership University, a couple weeks ago, we got to hear a guy named Timothy Goglin, I think is how you say his last name. His first name's Timothy, but he worked for President Bush. And he was one of uh, President Bush's top aides. Well, Timothy got in trouble, um, did something publicly that he shouldn't have done, and it, it caused him to have to resign and gave a little bit of a black eye to, the, um, to that president's administration. And he told the story about how he was called into the Oval Office after he had packed all of his things up and he was gone. He had already resigned. And, and, he, and he wanted to use that as an opportunity to tell the president that he was sorry. And so he basically said, you know, Mr. President, I want you to know I apologize. And he said that the president looked at him. Now, can you imagine you're the president? You have to apologize for giving the, the administration a black eye. Before he could even get the word apology, apologize out, the president looked at him and said, you're forgiven. 
you're forgiven. And then you know what Timothy talked about? He talked about how their friendship has flourished. George Bush never, ever, ever brought that up to this guy again, and they remain close friends to this day. Now, he still lost his job, but they still hang out. They're still friends. They still talk. Isn't that how you want to be treated when you mess up? I want someone to look at me and go, you know what, you're forgiven. And then never, ever, ever bring that up again. I know that that's what you want as well. So that's what people want. They want to be forgiven. So how do we live all of this out? How do we live out Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5? I'm going to go through these relatively quickly because this is a, it's a great question, but I want to make sure that you get it. So here we go. Number one, we refuse to use this verse to defend ourselves. Refuse to pick up the racket and lob stuff back at people when they confront you. Because the reality is, you may need to hear what they have to say to you. It's quite possible that in the context of relationship and the context of life groups and the, and the context of knowing someone, that, that you actually are sinning and that someone needs to say something to you about it. Like, don't pick up the fifth donut. That's probably one we all need to hear, Right? Refuse to pick up that racket and lob it back to them. Then number two, acknowledge that our own sin must appear bigger to us than other people's sin. It's, it, we've got to be more concerned about us being in a right relationship with God than other people's sin. Now, we should be concerned about other people's relationship with God. right? We should love people. We, we want them to know Christ. But when it comes to dealing with sin, we deal with our sin First, because our sin is bigger. It's the way it needs to appear to us according to this passage. Then number three, we remove the plank from our own eyes. How do we do that? Well, you spend time with God on a daily basis, asking him to show you any sin that's in you, and then confess it, which means that you agree with God about your sin, and then you turn away from it, which means you repent of that sin. And then number four, You spread the good news of the gospel with every single person you can. Absolutely spread the gospel, the good news of grace and forgiveness with every person you can. Because here's what I know about people. Everybody realizes that something is not right. Now some people, are they're going to argue about the, the, the nuances of, well, this isn't right, this is. I'm not talking about that. But everybody in their in their deepest, darkest moments, when they're honest, they would go, you know what? Something in my life isn't quite right. It's the reason why people have created religions. It's the reason why people create all kinds of distractions because we don't want to spend that time alone and realize that things aren't right. So know this, that every single person that you come in contact with needs to know of God's grace and forgiveness. And so instead of being known as someone who judges them, become known as someone who dispenses God's grace to them. And then let the Holy Spirit work in their lives to change what needs to change. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. As you're doing that, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way towards the stage. In an attitude of prayer, if you're already a follower of Christ this morning then I want you to make a commitment to God 
and tell him this in your own words, that you want to be an agent of his grace with people that are outside of the family of God. And I also want you to make a commitment that you would be used by God to gracefully and truthfully hold other believers accountable in the context of meaning happening in relationship. So tell them that in your own words. And also to make the commitment never to pick up the racket in defense of yourself. But in a group this size, there are some of you that are not yet followers of Christ. And so I want to speak to you for just a moment. If this morning you'd say, you know what, John, I... You know, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. I'm have, it, it's cool to hear about Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with this Jesus that you talk about. Well, the Bible says that you can change that this morning. He's made a way for you to change that this morning. And that way is for you to become a follower of Christ. And to do that, you basically do two things or have two attitudes, probably the better way to say that. It's this, is that you ask God to come into your life, ask Jesus to come into your life to be your leader. In other words, you're giving him complete and total control of who you are as best you understand it, right? Ask him to be your leader and then ask him to be your forgiver. Say, God, you know what? I've, I've messed up. I've gone my own way and not yours. There's, there's so many things I need to be forgiven for, but God, please forgive me. Now, the Bible says if you do that, if you ask God to be your leader and your forgiver, the Bible says that you are a new creation. You become a child of God. You become adopted into God's family. And your life will never be the same here on earth. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and helps to form you into the person he wants you to be. And one day, on the other side of eternity, will be in paradise in heaven. And it is going to be amazing. But I'd like to ask you to let us know about that. If you, make, if you made that decision to follow Christ, on that response card that you have inside your bulletin, it's not too late to fill it out if you didn't fill it out earlier. Somewhere on there's a, a box that you can check that says, today I'm committing to follow Christ, or today I'm becoming a follower of Christ. Check that box. Turn that card in because we as a church, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons we exist is to help people on their journey of following God. And we want to help you on that journey. So Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for your word this morning. Help us to be agents of your grace with everybody that we meet. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give. 